Imagine school is about to start. Um, you know, one of my favorite commercials I've ever seen, because with five kids, uh, I could relate to this commercial. It's uh, somebody going, a parent going through Staples with their kids in tow, and the kids um, are all in a bad mood because school's about to start, and the, the, the parent is singing, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Okay, I so related to that commercial. That's one of my favorites of all time. I know that we have many people that are here and perhaps even in the room that um, are a part of the educating of children. Um, whether you're a teacher, a para, a bus driver, you work in the kitchen, uh, th there is a whole lot of people that are involved in the educating of our children. And our children are our greatest treasure. And I would like to pray for everyone who is involved in that effort to educate our kids. You mean so much to this community, and we want to pray for you. If you'll stand up right now, would you stand? If you're part of that effort, yes, come on. Yes. All right, would you join me in prayer? Dear God in heaven, we want to thank you for the kids that are part of our families, our church, and this community. And I know that they are precious to you, and they're important to you. And I want to pray especially today for the educators that are in the room. I pray that you would, you would anoint them and guide them and give them what they need. And Lord, I pray that they would, they would shine as lights in the darkness in the lives of these kids. So we're asking, Lord, for you to especially help them as school begins. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give them a hand. I, I, you probably didn't see all who stood up, but I did. Well, we are continuing in our series called Advice for Life, and um, I'm just amazed because as you read through the book of Proverbs, there are certain topics that the writer of Proverbs identifies as being so important for life that they must be talked about. I mean, so, so important. And I, I don't want to go back and review everything we've done already, but one of the topics in Proverbs that is repeatedly referenced is the power of the tongue. The power of the tongue. Proverbs 18.21. I want you to remember only this verse. If you, can, if you forget every other verse, that's okay. Well, it's not as good as if you remembered them. But anyway, 18.21. Listen to this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And so this is connected to verse 20, where it talks about the fact that what we say is going to affect our lives. We eat the fruit of what we say. But the big point here is that words are so important that life and death are in the power of the tongue. I mean, you can't get more severe, more important. Uh, th there is great danger and great opportunity every time you and I speak a word. Now, some of you have heard already that I have a granddaughter, and she just turned two years old, and I have loved watching her grow in the last year. And the thing that she's doing now that's different is she's not only saying words, but she's putting words together in sentences. And I've loved it. Like the, the last week, uh, my son had a birthday, and her mom is coaching her, and thanks to modern technology... Uh, it, it's all, it all gets recorded, and we get to enjoy it. She's, she's coaching little Eleanor, and she says, okay, Eleanor, say, say to your daddy, I love you. Come on. I 
And we got to hear her say, I love you for the first time. And she says, now say, say, happy birthday, daddy. And she says, happy daddy. That's pretty much where it stayed. Is, is it your dad's birthday? Yes, happy daddy. And I will have to admit to you that last night, Cindy and I were FaceTiming little Eleanor, who was busy about her new kitchen. She was cooking up a storm. She, was, she even offered me something to eat through FaceTime. It was delicious. And her aunt says, okay, Eleanor, say, say I, I love you, Grammy. I love you, Papa. And she did. Do you remember the first words of your kids? How exciting. And then you move forward into the stages of life. And I found myself saying things like, would you kids just be quiet? All right, we're going to play a game going to church today. Whoever can last the longest without saying a word is going to win a prize. It's funny how life moves. Today we're going to look at the fact that words are so important. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Don't ever forget that. And the first point is this, is our words have power. Your words have power. Did you know that the average study says that we all speak about 16,000 words a day? That's a lot of words. Some of you more, some of you less, okay? Some of you much more, some of you much less. Okay. But 16,000 words, that's a lot of words every single day. And, and it, it's kind of like grains of sand in our hand. There are so many. Everybody's talking all the time. Have you noticed that? You get about five or six people in the house, and each one of them have 16,000 words to get out every day. And that's a lot of talking. It can be a little overwhelming. And there are so many words that it can almost feel like grains of sand in your hand. And we forget that every single word has power. When you look at the way the world started in Genesis chapter 1, uh, the way that God created everything was he didn't pull out a divine hammer. He spoke. Genesis 1, 1 to 5, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So that's kind of like the summary setup. Verse 3, then God said, there he did, he said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. How did God begin this all? He spoke a word. The same pattern continues in verse 6. And God said, let there be a firmament, or let there be an atmosphere, or a sky, uh, to divide the, uh, the, wa the waters. And in verse 9, God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let the dry ground appear. In verse 11, and God said, let the earth bring forth grass and seed. And verse 14, then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens. And so we created the moon and the, the, su the sun and the stars. I mean, it's, it's all of that by the spoken word of God. Uh, last week, I went to the Creation Museum in Cincinnati with all of our great institute residents. Man, what a great group. 
And part of that tour included a planetarium visit. I mean, you sit in this room with this fancy, high-tech dome screen, and then they walk you through the universe and the complexities of the galaxies and the planets, and it is mind-boggling. How did that all happen? God spoke a word. In verse 20, he speaks, and the birds fill the sky, and the fish and the sea creatures fill the ocean. Verse 24, and God speaks, and this is real important because he's going to create man, and then he gives this spoken word to sort of describe what he's going to do, uh, and it says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, just not to go all nerdy on you, but you're going to notice that there's a little bit of a Trinitarian flair there. Let us, what is he talking about? He's talking about God, God, the one true God who is in three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Isn't that fascinating? Right there at the very beginning of the Bible, it's there. The nuance is there. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. In chapter 2, verse 7, then God unpacks exactly how that happened. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And God also gave man the ability to speak with the breath given by God, the breath of God, we speak words. That's why Proverbs 18, 21 reminds us, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Every word we speak has power. We have the opportunity to bless or to curse. Our words can give life or destroy life. Everything we say has life or death. Every word you speak is an opportunity to give life. Or it is, it is a dangerous thing when you use your words to destroy. You know, I was, as I was studying this, I came across a TED Talk by a guy in New Zealand. His name, his name was, is Sala uh, Tiatia. And um, it was so fascinating as he began to tell his story. His, his TED Talk was, in fact, the same title, The Power of Words. And uh, in his TED Talk, he described how the, he grew up with domestic violence and verbal abuse that brought most, uh, the most darkness to his internal world. He was kind of a poetic guy. And he, 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 in his talk, he quotes from the Bible, and he, he would keep repeating, and the word became flesh. So the word became a reality in his life, and he began to describe all the different things. He begins by telling about a time when he was a little boy in church, when he was brought up front because it was his birthday, and they all sang happy birthday to him. And people came up to him and said, oh, good little boy, uh, cute little boy. And, and he said, I was so moved by the words that they said to me. Like they, 
They liked me. They blessed me. It was a great moment. But then he goes on to describe that his dad, who had moved his family from Samoa to New Zealand and was struggling to make a go of it, and under the pressure of life, his dad turned to alcohol to cope. And when he got drunk, he would become physically and verbally abusive. And then he repeated again. And the word became flesh. He describes one day as a teenager coming home. And once again, he approached the house and heard screams. It was the screams of his mother. This time, he opened the door. His, his mother was on the ground. His father had her by the hair of her head. And he was, he was hurting her and screaming at her. And he described the pain of that moment. He went on to tell how that his dad would often say words to he and his brothers. These were the words he remembered. You are useless. You are nothing. You can't do anything right. You are ugly. Nothing good will come out of your life. You are a waste of life. This is the father speaking to this man and his brothers. And then he described, and the word became flesh. He said, sitting around with his brothers, they all agreed that they would much rather endure a bleeding than to have to listen to the painful words their dad would say over them. He described how toxic and negative these words were and how they just kept playing on and on in their minds. Even while they were asleep, they could hear these negative words spoken over them by their father. He describes how that he went to high school. And he said, when I went to high school, I was the embodiment of fear and anger all mixed together. He says, I was nervous and anxious. I was a boy in a man's body. And my internal world was just dark. And then one day in an English class, a teacher changed my dark world. This English teacher taught us poetry. And she said, you know what, poetry is a really good way to unpack the things going on in your lives. And he said, and I loved poetry. One day, as he was finishing one of his poems, his teacher was standing behind him and reading over his shoulder. And all of a sudden, she touched his shoulder and said to him, Salah, this is amazing. You are really good. These words were like a small speck of light that pierced his dark, wor dark world. And he said he craved the warmth of words like that to a cold heart. He said, I remember that I thought that day, someday I want to be just like you, my teacher. Someone who can speak words of light in the darkness. He goes on to say he became a teacher, actually. He did exactly what he had hoped for. He said, we've got to understand and respect the power of words. He said, in my community, 
Uh, last week, there were 11 police calls to, to respond to suicidal behavior. He said, our young people are believing lies, and these toxic negative words are leading to self-harm and even death. And he described that the power of words are bringing destruction rather than seeds of hope to the next generation. And he said he feels like the only way to defeat the negative, toxic words is to choke it with words of life. This is the testimony of somebody who says exactly what Proverbs says. He pretty much gives a big amen to the truth that words that we speak have the power of life and death. This is not a unique story to Salah. I've heard these stories before, have you? You actually might have your own story like this. You know firsthand how deeply wounded you have been by people that spoke words of death and destruction over you and brought you to a dark place. And I pray that you will encounter many people around you who will speak words of life and choke out the darkness. Words of hope, acceptance, and love. We must never forget that we have, with our words, the power of life and death. Secondly, when you have that much power, right, you've got to be cautious because it's dangerous when you use power in a way that brings death. But it is inspirational when you think about the opportunity that you and I have to use our words to speak life into people, to encourage people, to love people, to validate them, to give them hope. That's what we have that opportunity. In Matthew chapter 25, I, um, I, I think about this particular parable as it relates to this whole idea of the power of words that, that have life or death there's a charge, a power. It is, it is amazing. But Jesus tells this parable about the talents in Matthew 25. And I tell this to you today to inspire you to look at your life and the potential you have. You, you can be on a mission. You can do something so significant with your words. Matthew 25, Jesus tells the story, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country uh, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug it, uh, dug and dug it in the ground and he hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of these servants came and settled accounts with them. And when the Lord came back, the one that he had given five to, he, he presents to his Lord ten. 
Look at, this is the opportunities you've given me. Nobody gets the same opportunities. I mean, there's not equal opportunities given, but opportunities are given. You and I each are given an opportunity to speak words to the people God puts around us in our lives. And one day, the Lord is gonna come back and say, hey, what did you do with the opportunity to bless people and to speak life into people that I gave to you? So the one that had five returned 10. It was a great celebration. The one that had two returned four. And this was the commendation of their Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler of many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. I want to just say this. Every single one of us, because we have words to speak, have great opportunities to serve God and people, to speak life and healing and goodness and blessing every day of our lives. To the people you know well, to your family members, to the people you work with, even to the people you interact with in the store that are strangers. Your words have power. The, la the, the third man, he buried it. Verse 24. Then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Look, you, you, there, there you have what is yours. I mean, do you hear this man's speech? He's accusing the Lord. I mean, I know you're a hard man. What, what does that mean? Is he accusing the Lord of being unreasonable and demanding too much? And I mean, is the opportunity to take what you've been given and multiply it such a burden that you would curse the one who gave you those opportunities? That's what this guy does. He goes on to say, and, and I know that you, um, you, you, you reap where you haven't sown and you gather where you haven't scattered seed. Wow. He's coming really close to a hard accusation of being unfair. And this man went and hid it in the ground. You know, it wasn't a good end for this man. He didn't value the opportunities that he had been given. Verse 26, but his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Uh, it, it's interesting, he says, yeah, this is the way it works. I give you opportunity. Together we will enjoy the fruits of our labor. I gave you the seed. I mean, so you, you, you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. God, one day, will ask us, what did you do with the opportunities I have given you? Are people encouraged because of what we say? Do we take the ordinary power of our words and consciously use them to bless 
and help. Are we aware? So much is said about the tongue. Proverbs 12, 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wives brings healing. You know anybody who that their natural disposition is to be careless with their words and you walk away from their presence and you feel like you've just gotten slashed with a machete? Or are you a person whose tongue is used wisely to the point where it brings healing? Not wounding. You see the opposite there? Proverbs 15, 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Do people ever make you mad? Do you ever feel like, man, that person makes me so mad, I want to give them a piece of my mind? Anybody? You, you, did you feel the emotion there? Maybe I, I have to be careful. Proverbs 21, 23. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Anybody got a testimony? You smarted off to a teacher, a coach, a mom, or a dad. Proverbs 15, 4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness is in, in, in a perverseness in it breaks the spirit. You know, when I read this verse, there is a story that comes to my mind. I remember very vividly, and it actually breaks my heart when I tell you this, and you've heard this before if you've been around. There was one day I had to correct my kid, one of my kids when they were, they were young, and boy, I decided to scold my daughter. I was eloquent and intense, and I was gonna tell her how bad what she did uh, was, and boy, I, you, I was just waxing eloquent, and all of a sudden I got done, and I said, now go to your room. And she quietly turned around and walked away. And then I felt like in my spirit God said, so do you think you did the right thing? You know, God doesn't have to say a lot of words. Do you think you did the right thing? Immediately I felt convicted. And I went up to my daughter's room and found her sitting on her bed staring out the window in silence. And I said, what are you thinking? And then she said something I'll never forget. She says, well, Dad, I was thinking that I'm just so bad Maybe it would be better if I wasn't even around. And I went to her, and I embraced her, and I said, listen, there was something to correct, but the greatest offender in this room is me. Will you forgive me? And she did. And she has. But I will never forget the pain of that moment. Proverbs 13, 3. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes 
to ruin. Proverbs eleven twelve, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. I remember another story. There was a time in my friend group that there was this guy among us. We were pastors and missionaries, I hate to admit. And this guy was nerdy, a know-it-all, and generally annoying. He also was so easy to pick on. And so in our group, I mean, it was acceptable to look for any opportunity to just kind of show him what an idiot he was. Have you ever been in a group like that? One day, we would, we would, we would say things about him and to him, and then we would all laugh together. And one day, in the conversation, I had a real zinger that came to my mind, and I was ready to go. And once again... I felt the Spirit nudge me. And what came to my heart was, yeah, you, you can win this game and everyone around you will laugh and it'll be okay, but this guy that you're going to be hurting, I love him. I care for him. You ridicule him. I, I felt such great conviction, I kept my mouth shut. And I told God, beginning today, I'm just never going to do this again. Now, I, I want to tell you that... Um, he was still annoying and know-it-all and arrogant. But it wasn't my place to do the belittling of somebody. You know, the question is, what are we doing with our tongue, with our words? Many of our relationships, if we're not careful, get built around a mutual dislike for somebody else and we get together, and our unity is based upon complaining about somebody. You know, you, you become comrades because you have a common enemy. The only problem with that is you're not genuine friends. Because when your enemy goes away and you have no one to, to bash, then the relationship kind of goes away as well. Proverbs ten nineteen, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise. Our words have the power of life and death. One of the guys I love to listen to preach, he's a preacher and an author, his name is Dick Foth, tells this story not about himself, but about a friend of his. He said that he had a friend who was a preacher's kid, and he was, he, they moved to a new town. And, you know, it's hard to break into a, a, a new school if you're a child. And he, he describes how the, this guy said being a preacher's kid was kind of like strike one. And then added to that was the fact that this guy stuttered. And so everyone made fun of him. And he, he said, um, but there was another little boy in that school 
who had bigger challenges than he did. He actually had been born with Down syndrome, and so he had some limitations. His name was Billy. But everybody loved Billy, and he said, I became friends with Billy, and that was a way that people started to like me. So he said, I, uh, Billy couldn't say very much. I mean, he could only say things like, let's go eat, or let's play ball. And when they went to recess, all of the kids had rules about Billy. First of all, whoever was the team, team captains had to pick Billy first. That was the rule. Billy always got picked first. And when they played baseball, um, e even though Billy's hand and eye coordination wasn't very good, it, it was a rule that Billy should get on base. And if you were the pitcher and had to pitch 50 times to hit the bat that Billy was holding, that's on you because Billy was going to get on base. And so Billy always got on base. And not only that, Billy would always score. Someone would drop a ball or overthrow a ball, but Billy would advance and advance and advance. And when he got to home base, he would jump on that base with both feet. He says, then one day, we had a countywide track and field meet. And Billy signed up for every event. He signed up for the 50-yard dash, the 100-yard dash, the 200-yard dash. So the day came, he ran the 50-yard dash. Everybody got to the finish line way before Billy. But people said, hey, look at that kid. Isn't he a cute kid? He got to the 100-yard dash. Someone said the same thing. There was Billy still running after everybody was across the finish line. And people began to notice Billy. And everybody says, well, he's still running. He hasn't get, given up. He's such a good little man. And then they got to the 400. And... Billy, as you might expect, was out running when everybody was way past the finish line. But then something started to happen. His friends in the stands started cheering Billy on. And pretty soon, even the strangers in the stands kind of got on board, and they were all cheering Billy on as he turned down that last turn. And when he started coming down the home stretch, his friends came out of the stands, and some of them went and ran beside Billy, and before you knew it, even the strangers had come out of the stands, and the whole stadium was cheering Billy on as he ran across the finish line. You know, our, our words have the power of life and death. what if we were to be real conscious about being stewards of those words and we used our words to cheer each other on to never give up on each other to forgive each other I heard someone say when I was a young father do you know one of the reasons why kids, when they become teenagers, don't ever want to be at home? It's because 
most of the time they just get criticized and corrected and they don't really feel like anybody's for them. So if you want your kids to stay around, you, you gotta always keep it positive. It doesn't mean you don't address what's wrong, but to address things in a spirit of love and hopefulness and acceptance is different. It's life-giving. And I'll leave you with this. That's how God feels about you. He knows everything about you. Psalm 139 says that he knows our sitting down, our standing up. He knows our thoughts from afar. He knows everything you've done wrong, absolutely everything you've ever done wrong. He, he knows all of the squandered opportunities of your life. He knows all the bad decisions. And this is the God that the Bible says, while we were still his enemies, he sent Jesus to die for us. This is the God where Ephesians talks about this God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sin, made us alive together in Christ, for by grace you have been saved. And it is his plan to bring us into his eternity and pour out on us the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness. And this gift, it's just a gift. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. And then it goes on to say, and God not only forgives you, but he's got a plan for you. He's chosen you. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk. Would you bow your heads?